The readings can be found, should you wish to follow, they can be found on the back of the leaflet you were given when you came in to church. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you who do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day... Let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
receive you Jesus I want you to lift your hands up on the count of three one two three all over this place come on literally moments ago giving the life to Christ. Not exactly what you think about, is it, when you think of your, your normal church gathering, that, is it? <laughs> Basically. Um, anyone know where it was? Do you recognise the O2 Apollo? Anyone been to it in Manchester? Basically, that was, if you remember three weeks ago, uh, I told you about um, something that was happening yesterday morning. And yesterday I had the great joy of becoming like a true Jerseyman. I had to go through the tunnel four times yesterday and St. Helier another time as well can you believe that and anyway I went in the morning yesterday because to hear them that's part of if you don't know the message tribe the message tribe is, a, is something some of you will know that started 25 years ago all about going into some of the shall we say the most difficult schools in inner city Man- Manchester and telling, telling young people about the message of Jesus and that's how they communicated. And literally what they did with that, you saw a concert there. And what it was, was that was, that was something like, they ran that not just one night. They ran that five nights. It's kind of a bit like a, a One Direction concert, isn't it? With the queues all outside. And they were actually queues of young people, sort of like, gathering to hear about Jesus. And the difference that he that he made to your lives. And the reason why I'm telling you that is because the, the churches in Jersey are hoping that they'll come to Jersey next year and do something similar to that. Basically. And so maybe you might just wanna 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 pray for that. Maybe you might just wanna what 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 want to pray for our youth. You know, we are one of the few Anglican churches in this island that have youth in our church. And so maybe when we think about what it means to encourage one another, we can maybe think about that. Now, I've got a little plea this morning before, before I begin, and it's this, right? Last week we had our gift day, and we raised so far over 70% of our total. But one of the things they say when, whenever I do a sermon is sometimes, and it depends where you sit, some of you have a blessing that you can't hear me. So, if you can't hear me, one of the things that we really wanted to do as part of our gift day was to get some new microphones, because these ones are shot. They're about 13, 14, 15 years old, which means, in other words, they're out of the ark. So if you can't hear me, then there's plenty of spaces at the front. You don't have to hide behind the pillars. As we begin, shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, as we gather now to look at this passage before us, of what it means to encourage one another... Lord, would you just 
come in whatever the circumstances are of our lives this morning and just speak directly into them as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me let me tell you a story as I begin. Let me tell you Joseph's story. Joseph was a, was an islander. He came from a good church stock with this vintage heritage. He was this wealthy man. He was a landowner. He was well educated. He was also known in the community to be good and and generous. If a, if a need arose, then Joseph would be one of those people who would quite happily just sacrifice some of his wealth to meet that need. Joseph also, though, was a risk taker. When other people weren't convinced about somebody as an outsider coming into a community, Joseph was the risk taker who welcomed them in and then mentored them in the faith. He was also, though, a very humble man. He was, a, he was a leader in the community, but if he saw somebody could do something better than him, irrespective of how old they were, he would quite happily raise them up and let them do the platform stuff. And then Joseph was the sort of person when difficult situations arose in a church like they do. Joseph was this risk taker who kind of mediated and reconciled and brought both parties together. But perhaps Joseph's best characteristic that he had was that he always saw the best in people. He was always willing to overlook obvious character flaws and give people another chance, no matter what that meant that other people may think of him. And and because of these characteristics, Joseph had a nickname. Does anybody know what what Joseph's nickname was? Because Joseph's in the Bible. (coughs) Yeah. Joseph was Barnabas. The son of encouragement. Obviously either my description was rubbish or your biblical knowledge is lacking. So shall we turn to Acts chapter 4 as we begin and we'll just pick this up so that you can see that I'm not telling you anything that isn't true. We'll start on page 1096 in Acts chapter 4. And here we meet Joseph for the first time. And we see that example of a generous man of a leader in the community. We'll see how he was an islander. He was an islander because he came from Cyprus, which is an island, isn't it? Yep, there you go. There's my first thing. So you can see, when a financial need arose, Acts 4.36, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Then turn over with me a few pages to Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. You see... Earlier in chapter 9, what's happened is Paul has been converted on the Damascus Road. And what happened was all of a sudden, this person who'd been persecuting the church for years, suddenly landed himself right in the middle of the church community in Jerusalem. And he said, hey, I'm one of you. And what do you think everybody did because they were good church folk? No, you're not. And so, what is it? It's Barnabas who steps up. He's the risk taker, isn't he? He's the risk taker who welcomed, who welcomed Paul in verse 27 of Acts 26. But Barnabas took Paul and brought him to the apostles. He told how Saul had been, 
how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. It's Barnabas. And then he doesn't just mentor Paul there. Turn over with me to Acts chapter 11 and verses 22 to 26. You see, this is what's happening in this situation. What happened was the church had grown. And what happened was there was this little outpost called Antioch. We could call it St. One in comparison to St. Helier, who were full of rebellious upstarts. <laughs> I think there's a few truths in that. And actually it is west of St. Helier as well, just like Antioch is, is kind of north and west of, of Jerusalem. And there... They send Barnabas to see what's going on. And Barnabas goes and helps him be the leader of that church. But what he also does is read, look at verse 25. Then Barnabas also went to Tarsus, which is, which is further north, to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Once more, he's mentoring him. And then if we turn over to Acts chapter 12 and verse 25 in the beginning of Acts chapter 13. It says that when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem. And now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, etc., etc. And they're then set apart for what became known as Paul's first missionary journey. But who's the leader on the first missionary journey? It's not Paul. It's Barnabas. Barnabas is the one who's who's mentoring Paul. But then when it became apparent, turn over with me to Acts chapter 14 and verse 12. When it became apparent that actually what was happening was that God was doing such a thing that Paul actually was the better speaker. Barnabas just lets him go. He just releases him and say, you do it because you're the chief speaker. He was. This was Barnabas. And then over again into Acts chapter 15. You know, there was this dispute that broke out in churches. Funny that, isn't it? Funny how that happens. And it's between, this time it's between the Jerusalem, if you like, churches and the churches in, and the church in Antioch, which is where, if you like, you know your Acts history, where the word Christian comes from, from the church in Antioch. And there's this dispute going on. And the dispute is over the fact that the Jewish believers think the Gentile converts should behave exactly like the Jews. And the Gentile converts aren't particularly sure that that's a good thing that they have to do, all this stuff. Who is the one who goes in and mediates and reconciles? It's Barnabas. And then, of course, if you read earlier in Acts chapter 13... On that first missionary journey, it wasn't just Barnabas and Paul that went on it. There was a guy called John Mark who went on it. And of course, if you know that history of that, you'll know that John Mark bailed and abandoned them. And so when it came to do their second missionary journey, off Barnabas and Paul think they're going again, but they have this disagreement between the two of them over the guy who bailed and the guy who abandoned. And it's Barnabas, who then takes John Mark with him and they go their different ways. 
Barnabas is prepared to be that person, despite character flaws, to still go and take someone with them. And of course, if you know your biblical history, you'll know that the only reason that we have Mark's gospel is because of that John Mark. This was who Barnabas was. He was the son of encouragement. And to encourage one another is absolutely central, isn't it, to what it means to be a loving church community. And we're halfway through this series of what it means to be this loving community and that love is the best way to be church. Remember this graphic that you've got on the front of your handout that will be on this screen for you now. That love is the best way to be church. And we're learning about what does it mean to love one another on more than a Sunday. How do we excel in doing that? And what does that look like seven days a week rather than just on a Sunday morning? And to help us look at that, we're looking at these one another statements that run throughout the New Testament. There are about 70 of them that run throughout the New Testament over and over again. You heard the ones particularly this morning about what it means to encourage one another. And encouraging is absolutely central because if you look at that graphic, if you look at the graphic there, you won't be able to read some of the smaller ones. That's deliberate unless you get your magnifying glass out. But look at the size of the circle for encourage. Outside of love, encourage is the next biggest one of what it means to be a loving community. And if we want to know what that means, each time when you saw those references on the back of your handout that said to encourage one another, it's the Greek word that's used, it's the word paraklesis. If you know your Greek, you'll know that comes from, from two words. It comes from the word para, to be with, or to be alongside. Think of the English word where we think of paramedic, someone alongside, and kaleo, which means to call or to come. An encourager is someone who comes alongside. And it's used over and over again. To encourage means putting courage into someone who's weak and vulnerable, which is all of us. Yes, it's a a passing compliment. Yes, it's a friendly smile, but it's more than that. Biblically, It's this tenacious love, this persistent optimism, this steadfast faith that God can work wonders in anybody's life and turn anybody's life round. It's not just this blind optimism, or it's not just naivety, or it's not foolishness. It's something much more than that. It's this tenacious love, this persistent optimism, and this steadfast faith that God can work and turn anyone's life around. This is what it means when we start to think of what it means to encourage one another. And as we look at those five references to encourage one another that are on the back of your handout this morning, there are three ways we can learn about what it means to encourage one another. Here's the first one. We learn it from the church at Thessalonica. And it's that we encourage one another with the hope of the resurrection and the new creation. Because that was the context into which Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. You see, one of their big concerns that the church had, and it's Listen, it's just as big today as what it was then. 
This is why the Bible is just as relevant today as it was then. They had this concern in the church. Their concern was for their loved ones who died and what was happening to them now. That was their concern. And it's into that that Paul writes these words. These words of encouragement. These words of hope. And he uses lots of metaphors, lots of symbolic language that you need to be rich in biblical literacy to understand. But he talks about this description of the resurrection of the dead at the end of time. And you know, the only hope we have, the only hope we have that this world is not all that there is, is because Jesus died and rose again. It's quite simple. The only hope anybody has that this world is not all that there is, is because Jesus died and rose again. That's all there is out there. You know, the crazy thoughts of floating in the fairies in the sky. And, oh, well, I just believe that because it feels right. And so on from there. The only hope there is that this world is not all that there is is because Jesus died and rose again. And I meet some people. Listen, I've met, I've met some people who even call themselves Christians in St. One, Who would like to airbrush the resurrection out of Christianity. As if a Christian is deluded for believing in the resurrection. Friends, if we read 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19, that's the reference. If we read that, then what that will tell us quite simply is that if we don't believe the resurrection, we are deluded. And what's more, we're not only deluded, but we're a bunch of liars and hypocrites that we're just to be sad and pitied. That's in effect, uh, if you like, my translation of 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19. The resurrection is absolutely central to what it means to live life as a Christian today. And of course, it's not one of these things that kind of happens when we die. Oh, there we go. It begins once we've died to self. Once we've said, Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus be my saviour. The resurrection begins now. This is why we should do everything we possibly can to talk about the resurrection as much as we can. It's why on the, if you like, on the inside of your, your hand up there, I've, I found this, this visual image. Remember when I was, when I was off after my accident, I couldn't read for a while. And some of us are visual learners, and so I found this book called Visual Theology, which just sums up, I, I couldn't put it on an A4 piece because you wouldn't be able to read it. Some of you can't read it in A3 either, can you? But get your magnifying glass out and take it up and study and learn everything you can about the resurrection because there it says all about the various alternative explanations and why the easiest explanation there is out there is that Jesus died and then he rose again. So have a look at that, but don't just... Study it. Ask the Holy Spirit to make it more and more real in your life. Because what is it, what is it, one of these songs that we sing here? The same power that conquered the grave lives in you and me. It's about living in that reality now. And that's what we're to encourage one another with. Because if this life is all that there is, 
It's pretty sad and depressing. Take it from me on just two conversations that I've had before quarter to ten this morning. Just in this place. If this life is all that there is, life is very, very depressing. We're to encourage one another with the hope of the resurrection and the new creation. The second is, is that we're to encourage one another not to sin. That's in Hebrews 3 and verse 13. And in particular, to not get deceived by sin. Why? Because it's very easy to do it, isn't it? very easy to sin because it's very attractive and it's such a bad witness as Dallas Willard said it's the responsibility of every Christ centred follower in other words every Christian to carve out a satisfying life under the loving rule of God otherwise sin will start to look very very attractive and it is very attractive very messy as well. Sin is living our lives without reference to God. And in the context of Hebrews 3, let's just look at it for a moment. In the context of Hebrews 3, because sometimes you don't get the full picture of it by just reading one reference. So let's look at the immediate context to, to Hebrews 3. You see, the context of this passage is all about the Israelites in the wilderness and how they get deceived by their (laughs) sin and it causes their sin to become stubborn and hard-hearted and they kind of grumble and they mourn and they reject authority. And that's the example, if you like, from, from Psalm 95 that's coming out just before that. And of course, here's how that deception occurs, kind of like in our lives, isn't it? It often starts with something small. It's not the big things that get us. There's a, there's a pattern that's developed from, from something small, and we just allow ourselves to do something wrong, which we know we shouldn't, but we kind of think it shouldn't matter because we grade sin. And then it kind of takes it to the next step after a while, where we try to justify our actions in our heads, or to others that previously we would just would not have done. And then we try and, if you like, rationalise or we try to excuse our, our behaviour. And then if somebody dares, I say, challenges us, we become a bit defensive about it. And then what happens is we just start to let it fester in our hearts and we become a bit bitter and twisted. And it's very damaging when that happens. Very damaging, not only to the person, but very damaging to their friends as well, when that happens. Because bad character corrupts. And this is why we need to be encouragers not to sin. That we, each of us, all have those character flaws in us. And we need to just watch each other and say hmm we encourage each other not to sin and thirdly we're to encourage one another not to give up meeting together once more that's in Hebrews verses 10 and verse 25 
You know, in the time of the first century, the call to encourage one another was because of persecution. In other words, some of the Christian community were scared to come out (coughs) on a Sunday because of what might happen to them because they would be seen with the church community. And it was creating doubt and impacting upon others. It's why we all need the encouragement of our, of our fellow Christians because you can't be a Christian and not go to church. It's an oxymoron. It just doesn't work like that because a Christian is by its very definition is in community with other Christians. Now of course our 21st century Jersey context is different but no less important. We're to encourage each other not to give up meeting together because everything else now happens on a Sunday morning. And we can easily fall into this consumeristic trap where church gets relegated down the priority list of what it means to live the best possible life for God that we can. And when when this happens, what I call the drift occurs. It's what C.S. Lewis referred to in mere Christianity, that most people, when they kind of fall out of love with a church, they don't because of some fallout, they just drift away. You know, I, I chatted to someone about that yesterday afternoon. Someone who used to, used to come to this church and who didn't feel the love. Fortunately, I was able to manage to make sure that they went to another church in Jersey instead. And they didn't just drift away. But they were the words they used, basically. And often in these situations, you know, I don't say that to condemn because there's other things going on in their lives as well. And that's what often, how it often works. But as I once heard John Holtberg say, the times in our lives when we least desire Christian community are the times we need it the most. And the times when we want the church community the least is the time we need each other the most. If it was important to Jesus that every week he would be in the temple or he would be in the synagogue, that that was what he did, then then it should be for us, shouldn't it? He went to Nazareth, Luke 4 and verse 16, where he'd been brought up on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. You know, I said, I said to the 8 o'clock church community, when I wasn't there for six Sundays in June and July, did you think I was just having a sleep in? Or did you think I was just sat in the rectory all by myself listening to the Sunday morning service on TV? Perish and thought that would be dreadful, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, I went and met with other Christians. Because one of the most important things that we need to encourage one another so much about today It's not to give up meeting together. Which has an implication for how we speak about the church. Doesn't it? Do we speak about it in terms of uplifting words? Do we speak about it as we're reminded to in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28? Keep watch over yourselves and over the flock of which the Holy Spirit made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. So when we're at church on a Sunday morning, keep an eye out. 
keep an eye out and say, most people are creatures of habit. You know, it doesn't matter what, what tradition, whether you're, or denomination, most people sit in the same seat. Every week. Malcolm changed, I didn't know myself. <laughs> but, and look around and say, and then do the, then do the, the thing of saying, two hours before you get home. And phone someone up. Because often it's, they're aware, or something like that, and then you won't get an answer, but it's an encouragement to other people. It's not about checking up on people, it's about loving one another and encouraging one another not to give up meeting together. Over the summer I, I read this book. It's called Resurrection Year by, by Sheridan Boise. You know, I was, I was so impacted by this book that I, that I bought a, a number of copies at a special price, you'll be pleased to know. And, and some of these, sort of like the, the, the socks leaders took, sort of like for, for their gift, but I've got a few copies left and I've, I've left them just on the table as you go out if you want to buy one, they'll cost you a fiver. It, this is why I think it's such a good book. Sheridan Boise, if you don't know it, is a, is a writer, he's a broadcaster, he's a speaker. He, he often does pause for thought on, on Radio 2. But the book speaks of his journey that he took and his wife Merrin took as a result of, if you like, their decade of heartbreak and disappointment because their dream of having a baby died. And it led them to, to kind of leaving their successful jobs in Sydney and they went kind of travelling through Europe until they settled in their home now in Oxford. And their story is just a story of hope and encouragement. Of starting life out over again when a dream has died. Because for resurrection to happen, a dream has to die. Or something has to die, otherwise it's not a resurrection. And it would have been very easy for their lives to become defined by tragedy. It would have been very easy for them to kind of just drift away from the church and give up. It would be very easy to kind of just get deceived by their sin and to think that God had it in for them and that God wasn't loving. And it would have been very easy for them not to live a resurrection life. But their their journey is a story of encouragement. That they weren't going to let their lives be defined in that way. And from their own struggles, from their own honesty, from their own vulnerability, and from the encouraging of their friends in the church... They didn't just drift away. They didn't sin, but saw how they broke through their brokenness they could still be reconciled to God and they are and still are living a resurrection life. Friends, we need to be those people who encourage in these three areas, who kind of stand in that gap with people, who yes, give a a smile and a friendly compliment. Yeah, that's important. But so much more than that. We'd be like Barnabas and take that risk when other people would just stay away. Or would quite happily humble themselves because, hey, someone else can, can do it better. And who would always see the best in people. 
and encourage one another with the hope of the resurrection not to sin and not to give up meeting together. Let us pray. Gracious God, as you are with us, maybe you might want to bring a person now into our minds who you want us to go away from here and encourage. It could be because of some sort of difficulty or that they're going through in their lives and that you just want to go and help us to go and encourage them with the hope of the resurrection. It could be that it's more difficult because you've seen a friend just getting deceived and you don't know what to say but you know you should say something. And maybe we should just ask that the Lord would give you the words. Or maybe it's something about that third area that you you knew someone in this church and you haven't seen them as much lately. Then you might just want, God might just be saying to you to pick up the phone and just see if they're alright. Because we remember that that was the person that Barnabas was. And we remember his prayer that was written for him. Bountiful God, giver of all gifts, who poured your spirit upon your servant Barnabas and gave him grace to encourage others. Help us by his example to be generous in our judgments and unselfish in our service. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.